Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your partner in Success Radio. This is where top performers share their secrets to help you achieve your personal and professional goals. And I'm your host, Denise Griffiths. And today with my incredible guests, we will bring you inspiring and actionable insights to take your life and business to the next level. Your partner in Success Radio is ranked in the top 2% of the most popular podcasts globally which in my opinion makes this a must listen. So let's dive in. And my guest today is Rob Tripkin. He is a seasoned entrepreneur and theologian. So we're going to discover how his extensive business experience and theological studies led him to establish the Center for Faith and Enterprise, CFE for short. And through CFE, he aims to bridge the gap between faith and business, helping individuals find purpose and fulfillment in their work lives. And with academic credentials from Harvard Business School and Fuller Theological Seminary, Rob incorporates positive organizational psychology into his work. And he joins us today to share his insights on spiritual practices, faith work connections, business as a calling, that's important, and the vital role of business in addressing poverty. We will also delve into his involvement with nonprofit organizations that are focused on the intersection of faith and work. Rob, good morning. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio, and thank you for sending me your book. Well, thank you, Denise, and thank you for having me this morning. I've really been looking forward to it. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, The book, just so the audience knows, is titled The Sacred Meaning of Everyday Work, Engage Problems and Opportunities with a New Sense of Purpose. And just so anybody who's listening, this is not going to be about religion at all. This is about how you you focus with faith or with spirituality. We're not talking about organized religion at all. We're just talking about how we operate from the heart, I think. So, Rob, do me a favor and... I probably missed a lot of really important things when I was introducing you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tell tell the audience about about yourself that you think is important. Sure. Uh, I've been in business uh, for more than four decades. Um, you know, dealing with the kinds of all the kinds of problems we deal with in business and in the workplace. Uh, I became interested. Uh, I, actually, I became um, became more religious and more interested in spiritual matters. Uh, 10 years ago or so, and um, I started shifting my focus uh, a bit. Um, the, um, I became particularly interested in, in issues of, of the purpose and meaning of our, of our work. Um, you know, I, I, for, for all my life, really, I've, I've, I've been a strong believer in entrepreneurship, markets, uh, the contribution business makes to society, and um, you know, more and more, I wanted to talk about that and, and find its connection with our with our faith or spirituality. Um, I, by the way, when I talk, talk about our our faith or spirituality, I, I like to say your own faith or spirituality. The point isn't to get people to believe what I believe; it's to exactly. Uh, see, uh, yeah, we all operate our own our own way. I'm deeply spiritual. Yeah. I don't believe in yeah. organized religion. Mm-hmm. So there you yeah. have it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm engaged in organized religion, but uh, that that's really not my uh, that's really not my point. And so, the, uh, should I say a few words about uh, the book? Yes, please. Uh, because it follows on uh, uh, what I was saying, what we were talking about. Um, you know, meaning and purpose is is important, I think, for for a lot of people. It's, it's a key issue, especially in our in our work lives, and um, as I thought about it, I've come to the position that I think most of us, or at least many of us, have have what I think of as two deep intuitive desires. One is to connect with something deeper than ourselves or larger than ourselves. Um, people talk about that in um, 
in a lot of different ways. For a lot of people, having uh, more of an awareness of God as they go through their their, their work lives, their their work week. Um, but of course, there are other ways to to talk about it. Um, but there's also a strong desire to contribute to the greater good and the and the well-being of other people through our work. And I think that's important too. And I think these kind of work together. Um, and they may be subconscious most of the time. I think they probably are, but they're still important drivers as in our search for for meaning and purpose. I think <clears throat> uh, part of the part of the purpose of the book is to point out how how uh, one's own faith or spirituality can help us think about this and um, and contribute to the process. Um, so I talk about that. <clears throat> I talk about what. Um, what I think the search for sacred means, what I think uh, um, how we might think about spirituality, but they also extended into into a, into a number of business and workplace issues like dealing with stress and um, conflict, burnout, things of that sort, and then how do we develop character strengths um, that that help us help us through? Um, uh, so I, I try as hard as I can to to apply it to specific um, business and workplace issues. Well, and I'm glad you said that. I'm actually on page 64, and you just mentioned, in a roundabout way, work-related burnout. That's mm-hmm. a big thing. No matter where you are, whatever you're doing, you may be the CEO, you may be the janitor, you may be something in between, but we do get burned out. Like I'm solopreneur. I work for myself. Most of mm-hmm. the time, I like mm-hmm. my boss. Other days, I could smack her in the head. <laughs> <laughs> and I have been known to bang my head against my computer. So there is that. <laughs> I think we all have work-related burnout. But I guess my question here, because I'm reading this, you, you say work-related burn, burnout is a big problem. I'm thinking that you have ways for us to say, you know, this doesn't have to be a permanent thing. There's, do you have any case studies where you've dealt with people who would just hang their heads and say, I can't take it anymore? Um, not case studies I'd be willing to share. Um, I, I, I can talk a little more about burnout, though. Um, and, and by the way, I, I try to give credit to, um, to people. I, I borrow heavily on Christina Maslach's work on, on burnout. Um, she's done a lot of the really, really important work. Um, Burnout. Um, I mean, sometimes sometimes we just get tired. You know, we work too hard for too long, and we're just tired. And what we really need is a is a rest or some time off and that sort of thing. Um, burnout is 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 really a deeper a deeper phenomenon. Um, when we're burned out, um, we um, uh, we lose our sense of connection with what we're doing and with other people. Things that just don't have any meaning for us anymore. We're chronically exhausted, uh, exhausted in a way that, that, that rest really doesn't help us. Um, and we're, we're, uh, we, we lose our sense that we're capable of accomplishing anything. We, we just don't feel effective anymore. And it, 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 it generally um, results from, from what I think of as a, as a, as a disconnect or a mismatch between our, ourselves and our, and our work. And this is the important thing. Watching for these mismatches are, are important. Uh, you know, mismatch might be um, uh, we just uh, we just not cap- we just don't feel capable of doing the work we've been given. Either there's too much, or it's beyond our um, uh, beyond our skill. We think it's beyond our skill level, and and that just keeps going on and on. It might be an interpersonal conflict. There are people that we just can't get along with, or we can't get along with our boss. Uh, we may be doing something that uh, doesn't seem to fit with um, uh, with our values, or it might be a situation where we've, we've given the job everything we can, and we just don't seem to be recognized for it, or rewarded for it, or uh, or really appreciated. That's the key thing: appreciated for it. And any one of these things, any one of these mismatches, can just grind us down. Keep you know, keep the stress high, grind us down until eventually we burn out. And um, Sometimes that's an organizational issue. A lot of, th- a lot of people think it's, it's a matter of organizational fit and that sort of thing. Though it can also be um, in our own personal situations that we do have some control over. But the key thing is to watch for these things. Watch for these uh, mismatches, these disconnections, and see if you can't try to do something about them before, before it gets to the point where you're burned out. You know, catching it early is just so important. 
and his boss, as, as, uh, as employers, uh, if we have some control over the organization, it's important to watch for where our employees and coworkers might be might be at risk of burnout. Um, so I think that there are spiritual issues involved. I mean, I think things like prayer and um, uh, community and those kinds of things can help us, can buffer us from some of these stresses. Um, but it's really watching for these mismatches is really the really the key, I think. And that does make sense. I mean, if you're just, look, I'm unemployable. I went back to school, got a computer science degree, started my own business, and I am literally unemployable. I don't play well with others. I run with scissors, and I will not get your coffee. Don't ask. So I have to work for myself. But I'll tell you who my worst critic is. I'm pointing at her. It's me. And sometimes I have to sit down and say, Denise, what are you you don't like this work anymore. You've done it for a decade now. So then I have to go, why is it bothering me? What is it? Am I just good and sick of it? Have I gotten so good at it that there's no challenge? Or is it just not, it doesn't suit my soul anymore? Which, as it mm. turns out, happens mm. to be the biggest thing. Once I sit down and go, what's going on? I mean, you know, you're capable. You're doing the work. You can knock it out in your sleep. Why do you hate it? And it turns out that it's no longer part of my my spiritual room. I don't even know if that's all right, but mm-hmm. I've got mm-hmm. a, a section in me that says this is good and this is not so good. And if it's not in the good area, I tend to dump it sooner or later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, the um, um, I think it's – there are a couple things. I, I, um I, I also think it's important to recognize that um, some people can't change jobs. Um, right. And they, for one reason or another, they, they can't change. And by the way, I never, I never offer any advice about whether or not somebody should change jobs. Or, uh, you just, I just don't know. You know, from the outside, you just don't know the situation. But um, there are a couple things uh, in that case. I, I think it's some, if somebody is working just for the money. Uh, that it provides, and it's important to keep in mind why that money is important to you. Okay, and it may be that this is the right thing for you to do. Uh, maybe your your work is um, uh, <clears throat> is uh, you know helping take care of your family, um, providing long term financial security, uh, providing the resources to do something else in your spare time. I think we need to recognize that. But even when we do that, I think it's important for, for people to be able to find really some meaning in their work, which usually translates to um, how, is, how is my work contributing to the well-being of other people? And most jobs, I would say almost all jobs, do make a contribution. I mean, that's why we're paid after all. Um, and it's important to find that contribution we're making. You know, e- even if we're not happy with the work, at least – at least we can see what what we're contributing, or we can help other people see what they're contributing, and uh, uh, I think that's just so important in in, uh, in the way we, we you know we approach these things. Um, it uh, is so basically you're saying to if you're in a job that you just really despise for whatever reason yeah. Yeah. or reasons, but you do have these. You know, things that you need to provide for your family. You have solid reasons to stay in that job. What I'm hearing you say is sit down and take a look at what your your contributions are, but reframe yes. your thinking. Yes. Just yes. reframe it. Yes. Say, oh, my God, yes. I don't want to go to work today, but let's see, what can I bring to the table today? How can I be of assistance? Yeah. yeah. Uh, some people talk about job crafting, and the idea there is, as you say, you reframe it. Um, what's the contribution I'm making? Um, maybe there's another way to think about that contribution or what I'm doing. Uh, maybe there's a way of making adjustments in, in how I spend my time. Um, and uh, that can be that can be very important. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I, I don't want to go too far on that, but I, I, think, I think it's important to recognize that people can be in that situation, and there are some things they might be able to um, that might might help them. What is job crafting? I'm not sure I've heard of that before. Um, it's it's reframing the way you define your work, your job to yourself. For example, uh, if you're a salesperson, 
you you might think of yourself as um, trying to get people to to buy what you're selling, for example, and, uh, you know, hitting your sales targets and, uh, you know, making money, earning your commissions and making money for the company. Or you might see it as providing um, support and service that helps particular customers meet their needs. Okay. Um, you know, how, how does, what's the benefit I'm providing to the customer? How am I helping them? How am I helping them solve a, solve a problem? And it's much different than thinking in terms of just the commissions and the, um, uh, you know, meeting your sales targets. It really is. And, you know, I, I speak with a lot of salespeople and people who are very aware of mindfulness and how they assist other people. And a conversation mm-hmm. I had just the other day with my friend Ben Gay III, who is a very well-known salesperson. In fact, he's known as a living legend. And he has said and will always say that as a salesperson, your job literally is to make sure that whatever you're selling or offering whatever service, that it actually is good for them. It actually gives them what they need. Otherwise, yeah. find yeah. a different job. You know, go and he uses the a Yugo. Um, he's talking about, he had, I didn't even know Yugo was still around, but after he was through this one thing, he told all the Yugo people in the room to quit their jobs and go find a job where they weren't ashamed and where they did feel like they were actually serving their customers. And that makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. And that's, you know, that's also, the, as you pointed out, that's a key to sales. I mean, that that's... Um, I used to say that I used to tell people that uh, sales is the most difficult thing in the world and it's the easiest thing in the world. And if um, if your goal is to get somebody to buy something you're selling, then it can be really difficult. If your job is, if you think of your job as trying to provide what someone's looking for, then it can be a lot easier. Not always, of course. Exactly. Yeah. You, you know, trying to sell something to to somebody who doesn't need it, doesn't want it, will never need it. I mean, my grandfather had a, a saying, he said, well, you might as well go outside and kiss a chicken's butt in high wind. All you're going to get is crap on your face. <laughs> he wasn't kidding. <laughs> the things your grandparents say, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I wonder if they say those things just to needle the parents a bit. <laughs> I don't know. This is a, he was a small man. He was the size of a jockey, but I remember you didn't mess with him. I remember that he had a mule that didn't want to do what he wanted to do, and he knocked it right down. He punched that mule right between the eyes. So anytime after he would say, Denise, I'd say, yes, sir. That was the end of that. I didn't want to get hit like he hit that mule. Yes. (laughs) Well, you know, that, and as you know, that, that's, what we're talking about is the key to entrepreneurship too. I mean, if you, um, you know, if you've been at it for a while, I think people start to most, I would like to think most people start realizing it. You know, if you want to start a new business, what's the, what's the first question you need to answer? And it's really not how am I going to make money or how am I going to make a profit? It's what can I do for somebody else that's either better or that they're not getting now that'll help them. And it, there's no point talking about profits and costs and whatnot until you figure out what it is you're going to do for somebody else. And uh, people lose sight of that. Um, you know, you run into people who are trying to figure out how to start a business that will make them money. And, uh, well, I mean, I believe in that sort of thing, but you've got to start with um, what am I going to do for somebody else? That's better, much better than what they're, than, you know, what they're getting now. Exactly right, and I'm trying to think what the the quote, it's a very famous quote from Zig Ziglar, um, you can have everything in life you want if you just help enough, if you help other people, and I'm paraphrasing, get what they want, and that's really yeah. the essence yeah. of sales, whether you're trying to sell your three-year-old on putting on his clothes and going outside, <laughs> or you're trying to sell yourself into putting on your clothes and going outside, it doesn't <laughs> But yeah, we all have to have these conversations and we all have to really, in my case anyway, really mean what I'm saying. Because mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know about yeah. you, I mean, I'm a fence sitter when I want to be. My mother used to say that I could have been an attorney. I can you know, talk out of both sides of my mouth and win both <laughs> arguments. 
I can always talk myself out of doing something quicker than I can out of doing something. I think we're all <laughs> like that to some degree. I think so. I think so. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So I wanted to ask you, because we had a fascinating chat on the pre-interview a few weeks back, I think, and we were talking about exploring the power of active hope. Let's talk yes. about active yes. hope and its significance in today's world, because I've said this before on this show, particularly since COVID and even a little bit before that, it just seemed to me and still seems to me that the entire world is operating under I don't know, a low-level sense of dread. We just, too much news, too much bad news. We just, we're walking around going, oh, geez, oh, geez, oh, geez. So let's talk about hope instead. I'd love to. I, I think you're right on. You know, I just, it, it, there's so much negativity around. <clears throat> and, um, uh and you know, and, and we do. Let's face it, we do face serious problems. I mean, I, I don't want to deny that I mean, we do face problems, but we also face huge opportunities. And I think we lose sight of the opportunities while we're <clears throat> while we're talking about the problems. You know, we live in a time where, where there's just so much potential if only we can get our act together. Um, and I, I think we need to focus focus more on that. I know a few people do, but not enough. Um, and you know, we talk about hope. The role of entrepreneurs in um, in hope, and of course, entrepreneurs in some ways are the carriers of hope. <clears throat> I mean, it's hard to be an entrepreneur if, if you if you don't have a strong sense of hope. I think, but also it's the entrepreneurs that are oftentimes the ones looking forward and um, um, looking towards the opportunities. I think that's important for society. And of course, it's not just the formal entrepreneurs, the people who actually start businesses, but I'm talking about, there's also the sense of entrepreneurship within organizations um, that I think ties in. That, that Sometimes I think of it as the spirit of enterprise. You know, what, what's that forward-looking um, sense that we're going to create a, create a better world in the process? And I think that's so important. And if I could, if I could dig into hope a little bit more... Um, you know, sometimes we 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 think of hope and optimism as um, as synonyms. But I think that's a I don't think that's quite right. I, optimism. And it's optimism. not a woo woo thing at all. I mean, a lot of people. Oh, come on now, you can't really manifest anything. You can't think it into being. We are what we think. I will argue all day long about that. We are what we think. If you know, when you had asked me in the pre-interview, hey, you know. Hey, Denise, how are you doing? And I told you that I had a raging <laughs> headache and that I was cranky. That, yeah. You wouldn't be yeah. on here today. You would have said, oh, I don't like her. You would have <laughs> left. But, but the thing is, once I caught myself thinking, man, I've got a headache, I instantly took steps to alleviate. I drank water, grabbed some aspirin, took some deep breaths, and told myself, I don't have a headache. And I didn't yeah. because I convinced myself that I was just perfectly fine, and I was. Yeah, I did. Um, I'll try that next time I have a headache. Um, try it. It works. Yeah. Usually, you know, I try to remember that it's not going to last forever. Um, uh, but the, 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 um, there's a difference between hope and optimism, I think. Um, optimism is kind of a – I think of optimism as sort of a general disposition that, that – uh, you know, things are going to work out, that, that kind of thing. Hope, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a frog in my throat this morning. <clears throat> uh, sorry. Hope is, uh, is, is focused really more on a specific favorable um, outcome. You know, like uh, we may say, I hope to get the new job. Um, or, uh, you know, I hope the customer is going to say yes. It's focused on a particular um, uh, specific outcome that that is plausible. It's not certain. It's not guaranteed, but it's at least plausible. And I think I think that's an important distinction. I think we can also distinguish between passive hope and active hope. Uh, passive doing hope something, doing something about it. Yeah, being smart yeah, yeah, and making yeah, sure yeah. that what you're delivering is what this person needs or wants. Yeah, and yeah. 
with passive hope, it's um, you know wait, we're waiting and hoping something's that something specific uh, good is going to happen. With active hope, we're actually uh, working towards something, and I think active hope is is the one we should focus on. Um, the late uh, Chris Snyder did a bunch of research on it, uh, really seminal research. He interviewed and studied a whole bunch of um, what he called high hope individuals. So he, he talked about hope. He was really talking about active hope. And what he found was that high hope individuals have uh, think of hope or behave as though hope is really uh, um, really contains three components. You've got the uh, the um, the positive outcome that you're hoping for. Uh, that's your goal. Um, you've got a pathway to get there, or you, you've identified a pathway to get there, and you've got the will to pursue that pathway. And it really takes all three. And when you think about it, I think think that's important. It's, it's not just your desire for the favorable outcome and you know um, thinking you want to move in that direction. It's also identifying the pathway and then having the will and the resilience and the persistence to follow that that path. Uh, two of his uh, colleagues who worked with him, uh, Jennifer Chevens and uh, David Feldman, developed this further into what they call hope therapy. And as they researched, they found that all three of these characteristics can be developed. And I think that that's the important thing. We can develop a better sense of what our uh, what the outcome is we're looking for. Um, and make it less general and, and, and really think through what it is we're, that we'd like to achieve. Um, we can also work harder developing the pathway to get there. Uh, one of the aspects of that is, you know, high hope individuals tend to develop multiple pathways. So if one doesn't work, they're able to develop another pathway for to get there. Um, um, but they're persistent about it, uh, and they just don't give up when one pathway doesn't work out. Or, you know, an obstacle comes up, uh, high hope individuals are, 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 are better able to figure out a way around that obstacle, not, not give up. Um, and then, of course, we can develop the will and the persistence to get there. Um, some of that has to do with practice. Some of it has to do with reminding ourselves that we can, we can make it work. Um, I think so. Uh, active hope can be developed, and I think that that's important. I think uh, you know I'd like to see us in a situa- situation where more people really worked at developing um, a sense of active hope, containing all three components. You know the 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 objective, the the pathways to get there, and the, the willingness to to um, pursue the pathway, um, and. Uh, 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 you know, I, I, I think it'd be. I think it's better for entrepreneurs to uh, think that way. I also think it'd be better for the world if more of us thought that way. Um, so, we're, uh, so we're focusing on the goal, the positive elements, and we're taking the steps necessary to get there. Um, I, I love that you're tying that into entrepreneurship, and because that's exactly how I operate, and all the my friends who are entrepreneurs. It just doesn't occur to us that we can fail. We know we will. I mean, we're not stupid. We know we will. And we know we'll probably fail at some point, some touch point, multiple times each day. But yeah. we get up, yeah. we brush ourselves off, and we say, well, that didn't work. Okay. And instantly, we've got two more ideas. We're going, okay, let me go try this. That's a long, evolved, involved way of saying we have cast iron stomachs. And we just don't know when to quit. Yeah, yeah. Well, and sometimes you do change your goals. You know, yeah, uh, high yeah. open individuals are able to, to reframe their their objectives if they really can't meet the meet the objective they've set for themselves. Um, and uh, you know that that's part of it. I think there's also there's also a spiritual side to it. I think, um, and. Uh, you know, I think our, our spiritual practices, if we feel that sense of spiritual connection or that sense that we're, you know, we're doing the right thing, I think that's that's important. Um, uh, I'm, I'm not aware that Snyder and the others talked about that, but, uh, you know, it, it, usually if somebody feels like they, um, they're doing the right thing, that they're, um, you know, a religious person might say that, that I'm doing the will of God, 
um, that I'm moving in the direction that I'm supposed to be moving in. Um, I think that can be important for, for developing hope. It's certainly important for developing a sense of resilience and, um, and persistence. Um, you know, the spiritual practices, uh, uh, the people engage in, um, uh, like prayer and things like that can help. They help us stay connected. Um, but they can also help us calm down and focus, I think. And I think that that's important. Um, and, uh, so that I think there is a spiritual dimension to, to hope and, and to hope and, uh, entrepreneurship that, uh, for a lot of people, I think can be really, really important. Um, and that, that's, that's one of the areas I think our faith or our spirituality, um, your own faith or spirituality can, um, can help you deal with these issues. It does. And I, I'm one of those people, and it took me a long time to kind of catch up with how I was thinking, but I'm one of those people that considers that every single breath is a prayer. It's a miracle. Mm-hmm. And I don't take yeah. any of that yeah. lightly. Yes. Yeah, and that moment-by-moment uh, yeah, moment sense of appreciation can be so important. It is. Some years ago, and I'm one of those people, I'm an A-type personality. I'm trying to get down to maybe B+. Plus. I'm trying to calm it down a little <laughs> bit. But it's not going to work, but still, I was born an A-type personality. And it's... I'm busy all the time. My brain is, when I say busy, I don't mean I'm running around racing. I spend a lot of downtime thinking, reading, mm-hmm. absorbing, mm-hmm. then doing some more thinking, talking to my spirits, talking to God, talking to my subconscious. I do a lot of chatting, talk to the cats. But <laughs> it took me the longest kind of time to understand that what I was lacking and not paying a bit of attention to was gratitude. I just thought, well, you know, I'm good. And I did not have a gratitude practice. But once I started that, life changed. It really did. Mm. And, you know, in the field of positive psychology, that's one of the things they found is is really important, uh, is that gratitude practice. And I'll tell you how I discovered that I wasn't doing it. This is many years ago now. This podcast is 15 years old, so I've talked with a lot of people. And there was a gentleman probably over 10 years ago, at least a decade or better, and he had recovered from some bad like cancer. I mean, he had some big things going on in his body where he was just basically told, sit down, shut up, you're going to die. And he didn't like mm-hmm. that. So he, and he would tell anybody who would listen, he cured himself. Yeah, he went, you know, he went to his doctor's. He did what he felt was right, you know, in terms of his his care. He didn't do everything they wanted, but he did a lot of it. And he said gratitude became every breath he took. As far as I know, he is still fine. Oh, boy. And when I heard him say that, I mean, I'm not often speechless, but I was. And so now, instead of, you know, jumping out of bed first thing in the morning, and like my mom would say, the devil says, oh, shoot, she's awake. Ah, you know, okay, what are we going to do now? But, I know. But now I will deliberately, and I, I don't even have to think about it anymore, but I will wake up, open my eyes, shift the cat off my bladder so I can stay down for a little while, and start to speak my gratitude out loud. Because to me, and this is just personal to me, when you're thinking something, it's a highway in there. You know this. You've got 14 different thoughts intersecting. You know, a car just crashed into the, the mailbox out front. You can't think a single thought, but you can speak it out loud and keep it focused. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of talking to my feelings. <clears throat> uh, do you speak the gratitude out loud? Oh, yes, Absolutely. To my ceiling fan, I'm looking up at the ceiling fan the whole time. (laughs) I I would guess that speaking it out loud is an important part of it for you. It's very important because, like I said, if I'm thinking, who knows? I mean, it's like I'm on a super highway and I don't know what direction I'm going in and too many people are cutting in front of me. It's a mess. You just have too many things going on in your head. Speaking it out loud, you can focus on the sentence, on the thought, on the prayer. It makes a big difference. I think that's an important important idea. I'm going to remember that. Um, 
you know, I tend to pray silently. And um, well, I right, do. Well, loud. Yeah, when you speak it out loud, you can hear it. The ceiling fan can hear it. Your spirits <laughs> hear it. Hey, listen, you're going to think I'm a lunatic, but when I get in my car, I will deliberately, I get in the car, I pet my steering wheel because I love my car, and I will, I have a spirit that I call Jeeves, and he goes with me, and I tell him what I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there. I would like for my tires to remain inflated, the engine to run, and the local constabulary to not spot me. And I get <laughs> where I'm going. <laughs> I get there, and I get back safe and sound. Thank you, Jeeves. Yeah. And as much as I'm speaking it out loud, I know it sounds lunatic, but you know what? Nothing ever happens to me on the road. I always get the best spots and I don't get a ticket. So there you go. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, I don't always get the best spots, but uh, I haven't had a ticket in a while or something. Me either. And I'm going to keep it that way. (laughs) I was like, nope. I'm invisible. Remember, Jeeves? I'm invisible. (laughs) Good. Good. So. Um, yeah, did what I say about hope make sense? It does. And it, without hope, we all know what happens when there is no hope. Yep. The world yep. just gets dark. Yep. It gets ugly. It gets heavy. It gets infected. Without hope, you've really got nothing much. So how do you find hope? I mean, you're, let's just go back to, you know, work. You're in a, a position where you really are miserable, and we talked a bit about reframing it. But how are there any other things that they can do to kind of reclaim their hope? Maybe in the people around them, the boss. Maybe their car was running properly today. Where do they find hope? And then expand on it. Yeah. Um, I would. Say, I mean, there's. Different ways, and you know, I I I I don't really like giving people advice because I don't know their situation, and um, um, and you know, I've got my own problems, I'm my own shortcomings, and and um, uh, you know, I'm not sure I'm in a position to give give a lot of advice, but a couple of things to think about. Um, you know, at some point, it's good to focus on what do you want to have happen. You know, what it, focus on, 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 on your objective and how you might get there. You know, if we spend too much time focusing on um, um, why, why we're miserable and why, you know, why, um, you know, all the problems, we can lose sight of what, it is, what direction we're trying to move in. Um, you know, part of it's spiritual. You know, part of it's, um, uh, you know, accepting that uh, this is where I am. And, um, uh, you know, there's a greater reality that we don't understand, maybe. And, um, um, you know, there's more, more to the world than we see, um, or more to reality than we see. Um, and, uh, but it's hard because, I mean, some people are in really, really difficult situations. So I really hesitate to talk about it because it seems, it would feel kind of presumptuous to, uh, you know, can try to make it sound like a pep talk. Um, uh, you know, if we're talking about people who really are in dark places. Yeah, I kind of hesitate to answer, answer the question because, you know, it just seems presumptuous to other people's situations that, that I don't really understand. Um, but I do think for people, people in general, it's, it, 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 um, it helps to be to be thinking about where it is that you want to go. You know, what do you want to contribute? How do you want to make this a better world? How can you take your situation and make it better for people, especially make it better for others as well? Um, you know, if, you, if you're in a, in a um, business setting, for example, where people are pretty glum about prospects, what can you do to help other people? What can you be to offer some encouragement to other people, um, uh, you know, how can you how can you help others through the, how can you help others through the process? I mean, I, in a lot of cases, that can help. Um, the um, um, Teresa Amabile, who's, who's done, who's a social psychologist, who's done a lot of work. Um, she's um, 
She spent the last 20 or 30 years as a professor at the Harvard Business School. In her book, The Progress Principle, it talks about the inner life of inner life of work. And um, the, um, I mean, for years she's been saying that that uh, um, um, that she I'm not sure she's always used the inner life of work term, but uh, that uh, people are more productive and more creative when they have a more positive um, uh, inner work life. Um, And I I think I'm conveying this accurately, that um, one of the things that matters a lot is whether or not um, people feel like they've accomplished something um, toward whether or not they've had a meaningful accomplishment that day. And it can be a small accomplishment. It doesn't have to be very big, but just something where they, they made a contribution, they moved things forward, they have a sense that, you know, they did something that, that contributed. And I think I think that's so important. Um, but she goes on to say, and I think this is this is what I point to. Um, she says, other people can help a lot. And, of course, that, that can be your boss or, or it could be a coworker or it could be a customer or supplier, I suppose. Um <clears throat> She talks about there being two kinds of two kinds of uh, I guess people that can that can help. One she calls a catalyst, and that's somebody who um, will you know if you're having a problem or you're trying to get something done, that'll be somebody that offers them help of some sort. There might be a lot of help, but let's say that uh, um, let's say you're having trouble getting the information you need to to um, perform a task. It might be the person who comes to who who uh, hears that and says, "Well, I'll make a phone call for you," or here's somebody who can help you, and I'll, I'll help you get in touch with them, or um, here's some information that I found that might help. That kind of thing. Uh, there's also what she calls nourishers, and that's the person that um, you know sees that you did you did something well, for example, or you're working hard at something, and they notice it and they they express their appreciation for it. And so they, 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 it's nourishing. I mean, it, that that helps. And I think looking for opportunities to do that for other people, uh, both as a catalyst and as a nourisher, um, can really help other people um, um, enjoy their work more, be happier, be more hopeful. And um, and I think it helps us too as as we do it for others. So there's and, those kinds of those kinds of and it doesn't have to just be in the workplace. You know, a no, kind word no. or a, hey, how are you doing? I'm in the South. You cannot walk outside with somebody saying, hey, how are you doing? How's your mom and them? Oh, geez. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's, yeah. you know, I mean, I this happened to me years ago, and I've never forgotten it because I am an introvert. When I go outside, when I, you know, actually have to go out among people, and th- more than three people is just two people from me. I don't. After about 59 and three-quarter minutes, I got to go. I'm going home. But, you know, I'll put on my, my black baseball cap and my biggest Ray-Bans, and I'm trying to, you know, be invisible. It doesn't work. People will always notice you. But I remember years ago being in line at the grocery store, and I just wanted to go home. You know, I just – I was peopled out. And I looked in front of me, and this elderly lady, she was probably in her late 70s, early 80s. She was beautiful. And she reminded me of my mom, you know, what I thought my mom would look like when she got older. And it turns out she did. But tiny, beautifully dressed. She had a manicure. She had a pedicure. And she had the cutest sparkly sandals on. And all I said was, I love your shoes. We talked for an hour. We both checked out. We moved over to where the buggies go. In the deep south, they're called buggies. You all may call them carts. We talked for an hour. I've never forgotten her. I've never seen her before or since, but it made her day and mine. It can yeah, be that yeah. simple. Yeah, it really can be. And, you know, that's in our work lives and anywhere else, I think that sort of thing is really important. And, uh, you know, I forget that lesson um, frequently, but it's, it's uh, when that, that, that sounds like a beautiful experience. I, I can imagine it stayed with you and her. Well, it did, and, you know, she was a beautiful little Cajun lady, and she was telling me stories, because here, 
in Cajun country, you can listen to 14 people in one grocery store and hear different, 14 different accents because each little town has their own individual accent. <clears throat> and it's fascinating the stories that they can tell. I mean, I could really have talked with her all day, but we were standing up. We were both getting tired. I know she was. <laughs> and, I mean, I that was, I don't even know. It was over a decade ago. Again, I've never forgotten that lady and how she made me feel. And, you know, in the workplace, we're still people. And so exactly. That's my point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you may not be able to talk for an hour with somebody in the middle of the, middle of the morning when, you know, no. trying to get things done, but, 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 but still, you know, we can still be um, people, and uh, um, you know, those, those things are those things are so important. I think they really are, and you know, little things like that can stay with you for the day, or in my case, a decade or better. Listen, I'm back in the book. I'm on page 141, and you talk about the Dick and Duffy framework, and these are our names: Brian Dick and Ryan Duffy, and they're psychologists. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You talk yeah. about how they they can make your job a calling, how the psychology of vocation can change your life at work, and I think that's really what we're trying to get at today. Yeah, yeah, and they've done really good work on the subject of finding your calling. Um, uh, I'll give you a little bit of background. Um, Robert Bella, who's a sociologist, wrote a book in the um, – I think in the late eighties. And he, he he set up a framework for understanding how people see their work that, that has been adopted by, by quite a few others. The idea is that people can either see their work as a job, in which case they exchange their, their money and I mean their I'm sorry, their uh, their time and their talent for for money. And it's basically a transaction. They can see it as a career, in which case they're they're dedicated to a particular, uh, I guess you'd say, domain or, or uh, subject area, I guess, and they expect to um, to progress in terms of responsibility and challenge and um, and uh, status um, or position, at least, uh, as they go through their career. Or they can see it as a calling, in which case it means something deeply personal to them and uh, it seems to contribute to... Um, um, I guess you'd say broader society in some ways, or at least they, they, they feel that it does. And in in other work, uh, uh, people have found that, uh, you know, when you describe those three categories, people can very readily um, tell you what, what category their work falls into. Um, and interestingly, I mean, you, sometimes people think, well, for a person to have a calling, they have to be at a certain uh, economic level or a certain um, uh, I don't know, education level or something. Um, but in fact, it, it really cuts across different socioeconomic levels. Um, and they found studies that found, have found that uh, it's not just people in the better jobs that have a calling. Um, people in all kinds of jobs can have a sense that their work is a, is a calling. Um, <clears throat> there, there's the... Um, Traditionally, calling has been considered a religious concept, and for most people, it still is. Um, you're called, uh, you're called by God, or uh, well, usually people think of it. You're called by God in a in a particular direction to do a particular type of work, or play a particular type of role. Um, <clears throat> there's also a more secular approach, uh, which is more recent, which is the idea. This is something that feels like I was meant to do. It seems to come from inside. Um, uh, Brian Dick and Ryan Duffy, um, uh, through their research, have proposed that um, the way to think about it, the way to bring it together, is that for most people, a calling uh, has really three elements. One is it feels like uh, summons from beyond. You know, most people would say from God, but you know, others there are people who think of it some other way. But it feels like we're being summoned to something. Number one. Number two, it's something that has deep personal significance to us. And number three, it's other-oriented in the sense that we're trying to do something that contributes to to, um, to other people or the, or the greater good. 
The only thing I would add to that, I think, um, is that I think it's very important for it to be something that feels like uh, um, that, that matches our, I guess, our inner values, our inner drives, um, our inner intuitions. That, that, um, there has to be at least an element that seems to come from within, I think. Otherwise, we're more subject to, to being burned out. And... Uh, and uh, and so that um, that's the way I think of it. Um, you know, people find their calling in different ways. Uh, Dick and Duffy advocate what they describe as um, active discernment. Uh, for most people, having a sense of calling does, does, it, it is not a, not a sudden kind of thing. It's not a bolt out of the blue or, or a sudden uh, spiritual experience that sets you on your course for your life. For most people, it develops over time. And uh, it's a matter of trial and error. You know, we try this, uh, we try that. We start developing a sense for, for what seems to fit with us, for what direction we seem to, it seems like the right way for us to go. Uh, we might listen to the comments of other people. Um, uh, we may find... Um, uh, we may find that we're in a particular type of job and there's an aspect of it that we really like and other aspects that we don't. Well, that's, that's an important clue. But I guess my argument is that um, it, it can also be a you know a lifetime process, a lifelong process where we're continuing moving towards a sense of calling, developing over time, and maybe that's part of um, uh, that's. That's part of the joy of the process, I guess I'd say. Um, but I also think things like prayer and, and uh, meditation and other spiritual practices can help us. Um, you know, we have an experience. We, we try something, we, um, and then we reflect on it. Or maybe we pray about it or, or we meditate about it or we just sit in a room and, um, um, uh, you know, with our, with our thoughts and our intuitions. Um, but it's it, maybe it's a combination of the practice itself, the work itself, the um, you know the, the the activity itself, and then a sense of um, of reflection on it, or, or uh, maybe prayer prayer about it. And over time, I think a sense of calling just sort of can just sort of sort of develop. Um, so uh, um, that's the way I see it. Um, the um, um, uh, are there downsides to a calling? Um, I'm, I don't think there. Well, I'm skeptical that there are downsides to a true calling. But some people have suggested that well, if we become too uh, too uh, uh, too inflexible about it, hmm. uh, then we can't then we can't we can't adjust the changes uh, well enough. There needs to be a certain amount of flexibility in our approach. I think that's probably right. Um, well, as um, you mentioned uh, earlier, so. we're growing into it. A calling, yeah. like yeah. any other thing, is not something you can say at 7 o'clock on Saturday night. Okay, I'm done. I got it. It's all done. Yeah. Now yeah. what? I mean, you just, it doesn't work like that. Well, I've got you for well, a few for most minutes. People, for, most people, for most people. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, somebody might have that experience, but most people don't. <laughs> not me. Um, my attitude, yeah, my plan is that I'm going to pass away in my sleep at around 100, 120, you know, somewhere in that range. And just before I go to sleep, I'm still going to be plotting world domination. I'm not quitting. <laughs> just so you know. But I wanted okay. to ask okay. you, I, I wanted to ask you about your involvement with nonprofit organizations that are focused on the intersection of faith and in work because you do a lot of this and, and you're, you're dedicated to inspiring others in their vocational journeys. So let's t- we've got about four more minutes. So let's touch on that a bit. Yeah. Um, I, I launched a, uh, um, I mean, I've, I have worked with other nonprofits, but, uh, but I launched a, pro- a nonprofit called the Center for Faith and Enterprise with the help of um, uh, several other uh, entrepreneurs. Um, we try to find ways to help connect, help people connect their own faith and spirituality, faith or spirituality, with their work, in ways that supports them in their work. 
Um, and, I, and I emphasize their own faith or spirituality. Um, in my view, our faith or spirituality can really play an important role in, 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 the, in helping us um, as we work. Um, uh, yeah, it, it, it may not be the, you know, the primary purpose of our faith or spirituality. I mean, obviously, we want to we want to connect with God and the uh, and the divine mystery. Um, and but that, well, that may be the goal. I think that can also help us in, in the workplace. You know, things like prayer and other spiritual practices can help us deal with stress and conflict and keep us calm and uh, help us develop a sense of mission over time. Um, our, our religious traditions can offer a lot of a lot of wisdom. I mean, you, I, I can't speak. I, I've done some reading in other religions, but I really don't feel qualified to speak about them. But I can speak from a from a Christian perspective. Um, the Bible is a is a collection of uh, people dealing with these important issues for three four thousand years, and so there's you can find wisdom in it that I think is is important. Um, and uh, so I think a person's faith and spirituality really can help them. Um, you know, the practices, dealing with problems, having helping them develop a sense of mission and purpose, um, developing um, uh, character strengths. Um, and so it, it's not an easy subject. So we've done a lot of experimenting. Uh, the book came out of the, a lot of experimenting. Uh, you know, I've interviewed a lot of people um, Tried to get the thinking of a lot, a lot of other people. You know, we've had speaker programs, we've run um, retreats, and other uh, things involving spiritual practices. And uh, so it's a work in progress, and uh, we're still very much experimenting to see what seems to help people the most. Um, the, I think a big thing that's often neglected, I think. When we talk about faith and spirituality and its collection and its connection with work, is is um, I, I think it's important for people to be affirmed in their work. Um, and and especially see how their faith or their spirituality um, values what they're doing and the contribution they're making. Have jobs which, when they think about it, really do make a contribution to the greater good and the well-being of other people. And I think our religious institutions really help to help them see that and understand and and appreciate them for it. And so that that's um, that's a big part of my focus. You know, you work really. You work really matter. does matter. It does. And you were talking about. You know, experiment. Look, as far as I'm concerned, I've always thought this, even when I was young and arrogant. Well more arrogant than I am now. But life really is a a big experiment. I mean, we don't know anything for sure, but we can test the waters. We can say, well, that that was good. That, ooh, don't do that again. So, and we haven't mentioned I really rely on my intuition and my gut. I really do. And my subconscious. So, you know, I'm paying attention to what the downloads are that are going into my my head and, you know, my brain and my spirit. So I pay attention to that, too. Rob, before I let you go, tell people, thank you for being here. I really appreciate your company. So where can people find you online and what's your preferred means of contact? Um, my website is faithandenterprise.org. And, excuse me, and is spelled out faithandenterprise.org. Uh, you can go there. Uh, there's an email link there. Um, people can contact me. There's also a link they can, uh, you know, set up a telephone call, and I'd be ha- I'm happy to talk to people because I always like hearing people's experiences. That that's 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 how I learn, and that that's very important to me. So, if you want to talk over your experiences at work, give me you know, I go to my website and uh, we'll talk on the phone or by email. And uh, that that that's the best lead. Perfect. And the book, The Sacred Meaning of Everyday Work, I believe is available on Amazon. Yeah, it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Uh, Amazon has the uh, the print version and the um, the Kindle version. Uh, Barnes and Noble just has the paperback version. Right which I happen to have in my entrepreneurial library right now. And thank you. Listen, Rob, as we 
in today's episode. I really appreciate you being here. And to the audience, if you found our insights helpful, and go find Rob. He just gave you the information on how to connect with him. And if you enjoyed the show, please support us by reviewing and rating on iTunes. Your feedback is critical to my mission to inspire and empower more individuals. So don't forget to subscribe, review, and share your partner in Success Radio. Thank you for tuning in. Rob, again, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. Oh, thank, thank you, Denise. Thank, thank you. I'd like to say one final thing. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 